If you're watching online, I want to greet you. Josh and Kelly, we miss you. Steve, miss you. All those who are not able to gather yet, we look forward to one day being able to get back together with everybody. If you're here for the first time, good morning. My name is Mark. I get to serve as one of the elders here and with staff on Kenneth, with staff on Kenneth, with Kenneth on staff. And um, want to uh, welcome you. If uh, you're just getting started with us, we're in a series going through John's letters. And um, we're in 1 John chapter 1. This is the second uh, week we've been in this series that's titled Life Together. And we're talking about walking in the light this morning. We're in 1 John chapter 1. And Karen Vesegi is going to read our passage of scripture for us. Thanks, Karen. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Oh God, you are light. And it is the unfolding of your word that gives light. And we quiet our hearts and turn our attention to you because we need your light. We need your presence. We need your guidance. We need your encouragement. We need your wisdom. We want to walk in the light as you are in the light. And I ask, on behalf of this gathered people, here and online with us too, I ask that you would meet us here through your word, unfold your light to us so that we might walk with you and glorify you in the midst of a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you need to know about life in order to live well? What knowledge is vital for you to have to understand yourself, to understand other people, to understand God? Well, there are probably several answers that we might give to this, but author J.I. Packer gives a compelling answer to this question in this quote. So I just want to read this quote for you. He says, the subject of sin is vital knowledge. Now to say that our first need in life is to learn about sin may sound strange, but in the sense intended, it is profoundly true. If you have not learned about sin, you cannot understand yourself or your fellow men or the world you live in or the Christian faith and you will not be able to make head or tail of the Bible, for the Bible is an exposition of God's answer to human sin. 
So he's saying, hey, learning about sin may not be high on very many people's priority list, but it's actually really important, and I agree with him. I think he gets it right here. The reality is it is impossible to make sense of life without understanding sin. Now I want to ask, is that still true for Christians? Is it true for a church where we have confessed our sins and turned to Christ for forgiveness? Is there still a need to have a growing understanding and knowledge of sin? We might throw out a few questions. Can Christians sin? Why do Christians sin? If a Christian sins, does that mean they're not a Christian? These questions come up, and the reality is the letter that we're looking at in this study, this letter of 1 John and these three letters that John wrote, these letters are proof that Christians definitely need ongoing education about sin. See, the letter that we're reading is written to a group of churches. These are people who come to faith in Christ, but they'd fallen under the spell of some false teachers. And that bad teaching was robbing these Christians of their confidence, the confidence they had in Christ. And some of the teaching seems to revolve around sin. And so what we find in this passage, you're going to hear three, what I think are slogans, as John writes, and he's, as, he, as he goes through these phrases, if we say, if we say, if we say, verses 6, 8, and 10, I think what we're hearing there are these slogans that had made their way into the thinking of these people. And so John is writing to expose these lies about sin and point them instead to the truth. In essence, I think what the, the, these, these verses are, are saying to us is this, don't be tricked by lies about sin. Don't be tricked by lies about sin. Stand firm on what we learn from Jesus Christ. Sin is deceitful, and there is an enemy who's a liar and sowing lies. And so we need to understand the lies that circulate around us and the lies that sometimes we believe in order to be able to diffuse them, discard them, and, and walk in the light, walk in the truth instead. So this morning we're going to look at three lies that are found in this passage, lies that we might find ourselves believing, but how to replace them with the truth. Now, before we get there, we need to start where John starts. Look at verse 5. Keep your Bibles open as we go through this message, please. Verse 5, let me read it again. This is the message we have heard from him. Who's him? Heard from Jesus. John is, remember, if you were here last week, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He was an eyewitness. He said, I saw him. I heard him. I even touched him. I was that close. I was an eyewitness. I, I know what he was all about. And he says, this is the message we got from Jesus, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John was not only one of Jesus' disciples, he was one of the inner circle. He was one of the inner group of three that was with Jesus at key times. He was the disciple whom Jesus loves, he reveals in his gospel. And he, he's saying, listen, you know what? I'm going to summarize for you of all the things that I heard Jesus say, of all the teaching that, that he did, of the great sermons that he preached, I'm going to summarize that teaching for you and I'm going to do it in three words. What are they? God is light. 
Expand on it a little. In him is no darkness at all. Here's a summary of the message that John received from Jesus. Jesus' teaching was impressed upon John and, and clarified by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And let this sink in then for us. God is light. No darkness in him. Now what does this mean? Well, to say that God is light is to touch on one of the master themes of the Bible. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it's 66 books written over 1,500 or so years by 40 or some so authors, but it's one story because there's a divine A, a capital A author behind, behind it, and it hangs together. And so you find these themes that trace their way through. And one theme is God is light. We find that right in the beginning, day one of creation, Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was Light. Now, here's a fascinating thing. If you read that account, look at Genesis chapter 1 and day 4. Do you know what happens on day 4? He says, let there be lights. And what's created on day 4 is the sun, the moon, and the stars. So on day 1, there's light. And on day 4, the light that lights up our world, the sun, is created. How can that be? Were these a bunch of morons who didn't know what they were talking about? No. This is inspired scripture, and what we get here is sort of a riddle. How can there be light without the sun? In other words, there must be some kind of light that's more basic to the universe than sunlight or reflected sunlight and moonlight or starlight. And that riddle is solved in the passage that we heard preached to us three weeks ago in Revelation 21 and 22. At the end of the book... In the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, there's no need for sun or moon or stars. Why? Where does the light come from? It comes from the presence of God himself because God is light. Now in between those bookends of Genesis 1 and Revelation 21 and 22, we see things like the Exodus where God is delivering his people from slavery and at night he protects them as a pillar of fire, of light. We see God's glorious presence lighting up the temple when Solomon builds this temple and it's dedicated. And emer light emerges as a way to describe God's presence but also his goodness. And so light and dark become metaphors for good and evil. So the prophet Isaiah can come and say, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So you see this theme tracing its way through. And then Jesus comes on the scene and what does he say? He says, I'm the light of the world. Those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is appearing. His presence on earth fulfills this prophecy from Isaiah. Those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. That's the light of Christ. Paul can write to Christians that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into God's glorious kingdom. It's a kingdom of light. Looked at through this lens one way to explain what it means to be a Christian is here in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, where did he say that? Back in Genesis. Let there be light. 
There was. Well, he's still doing it. Where? Listen to what it says. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you know why you're a new creation? Because God has said, let there be light in your heart. And the gospel message empowered by the Holy Spirit lit up your heart so that you could see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Repentance and faith have brought you into the kingdom of light. So God is light. God brings light. Now with that as background, we're ready to have these three lies exposed. Look back at verse 6 with me, please. If we say, so here's this this boast, this faulty claim. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What's the lie here? Well, I think the lie is this, that your sin has no impact on your relationship with God. If we say... We have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. We lie. This faulty claim is that you can be in a relationship with God while continuing to walk in darkness. What does that mean? Well, it means your profession of faith and your life can be utterly disconnected. Now, I'm going to give a a condemnation alert here this morning. There are some people who have very sensitive consciences, maybe overly sensitive consciences, and and you're going to find yourself struggling to apply the scripture to you in a way that doesn't belong to you this morning. Because the kind of person that's coming into view here is not a Christian who's stuck in sin and trying to make progress. It's not a Christian who's grieving over their sin and and trying to to change and, and walk in a new way. We're talking about people whose lives are characterized by darkness. This word walk is the key word here. To walk is a a way of describing the manner in which your your life is being carried out. It's a direction of life. You're either walking north or you're walking south. You can't do both at the same time. And the lie here is that you can profess to be a Christian, say you have fellowship with God, but still engage in sin willingly, voluntarily, and as a way of life. What could this look like? Well, I think we might see this when a person makes some kind of decision for Christ or profession of faith, but their life doesn't really change. Maybe they go to a retreat or maybe they sign a card making a decision for Christ. Maybe they even get baptized at some point, but fundamentally they're still living for themselves. We see this sadly all too commonly in celebrity Christian leaders who might be amazing teachers and super gifted, but their behavior is terrible. They're abusive in their leadership, or they might be sexually immoral or greedy. And John is saying, look, you can't, that, that's, that way of living, it's, it's dissonant. Darkness and light don't live together. That way of living is, is a lie. Light and darkness aren't friends strolling down the street arm in arm. You've kind of either got one or the other. This kind of religion is easy religion, but John is saying that's false religion. The truth is, if we walk in the light, if our manner of living is 
walking with him. Doesn't mean we're walking perfectly. Doesn't mean we don't sometimes stumble or, or get lost or sometimes walk more slowly than, than others. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What do we learn about sin here? Well, fundamentally, we need to see that, that sin disconnects us from God. It separates us. And this new way of living, walking in the light, brings about fellowship because it brings about a cleansing through the blood of Christ. How does Jesus' blood cleanse people from sin? How does it, is, it, is there something magic in the chemicals? No, no, his blood is shorthand for saying his life. Life is in the blood. And so Jesus gave his life. He died as a substitute for sinners. We'll talk about this wonderful, big, uh, hard-to-understand word, propitiation, next week. Justin will explain that as it comes up in, in next week's passage. But if you open up your life to Jesus, he will bring the light of washing and cleansing from your sin to you. And when that happens, you will find that you can have fellowship with other Christians in a way that wasn't possible before. Sin, here's something else to learn about sin. It not only separates us from God, sin is fundamentally antisocial. It destroys relationships. Right? It lies to us. Sin might say, you don't need people. Or it might say, oh man, if people really knew who you are and really knew what you were like they would reject you, so you hide instead. Those are lies that sin speaks. If we believe those things, life in community never gets very deep, does it? But with God as our Father, with the blood of Christ cleansing us and washing us of our shame and our guilt, we can come together and be open with one another and enjoy life together, the title of our series. That's what's happening here. Sundays are life together. We can have fellowship with one another. Isn't that a wonderful thing? If you walk in light as he is in light, you have fellowship with one another. Our church consists right now of two churches that have recently combined into one new church. We have fellowship, but that experience of fellowship isn't always perfect and it isn't always easy, is it? You might find yourself Still feeling like, well, it doesn't really feel like my church. Or I, I feel uncomfortable at different points. There's so many people I don't know. Or there's new songs that I'm singing and they're hard to sing. Or maybe I don't like them as well as some of the old songs. Or I don't know my way around this building. Or I'm, I'm, I'm interacting with people and, 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 and they're asking me uh, uh, questions. Or I'm, you know, uncomfortable because, because there's so many people that I don't know. And the reality is we all feel that way to one degree or another. And in fact, there's some here, you're here as maybe a guest this morning. You don't know anything about anything that's going on, anybody here. And we, we, we want to be a church that welcomes one another as Christ has welcomed us. And we want to be a church that leans into fellowship that's been purchased and made possible for us by Christ, but still takes work. This fellowship that we have, do you know what God is doing in this congregation is an amazing thing. At a time when all kinds of people are polarized and separating and can't get along, these two churches have said, let's get together. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a, a, a manifestation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to unite? We didn't initiate this. God did. 
But that doesn't mean there isn't still work for us to do. So let's keep leaning in to fellowship with one another. Come early on Sunday mornings. Seize that greeting time. Wear your name tag. Introduce yourself. Maybe don't ask people if they're, how can we say this? Ask them how long they've been coming and then they, they'll be, they won't perhaps feel like they're different than ever, everybody else because we've all been coming for some certain period of time. Let's lean into small group fellowship. There's new community groups being started. If you would like to get involved in small group fellowship, you can start out with other people who are starting out new with each other too. We'd love to share with you about that at the Welcome Center. Kenneth would be happy to talk with you about that. Jesus Christ has made this wonderful experience of fellowship possible for us. The lie is that sin has no impact on your relationship with God and others. The truth is, if you bring your sin to God, his light will wash you clean and it will draw you together with other believers. Let's move on to the second claim. Look at verse 8 with me, please. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So there's the claim. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the claim. Sin's not a problem for me. Not an issue for me. Maybe it was in the past, but it's not now. And if you kind of track with the imagery here, it sort of could make sense, right? How, if, if to be a Christian is to walk in the light and to come into the kingdom of light and if God is light and if Jesus is the light of the world and if sin is darkness well how could Christians still sin that kind of doesn't make sense having chosen light is darkness no longer an issue for Christians I can understand that question I've wrestled through that in my own life maybe you're wrestling through that here if we read the storyline of the Bible though we see that one day we will be with Christ and other Christians in a new creation and evil and sin and darkness will be barred at the gates, won't be allowed in. But we're not there yet, are we? We've been set free. Think about what Jesus has done for us. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been delivered from the ruling power of sin. But we are still in the presence of sin. It's still in us. So there's this battle that goes on inside of us. You know, some Christians have taught that it's possible for a Christian to be so perfected that they don't sin anymore. It's true. Maybe that's what was happening in these churches. It's called entire sanctification, to get all the way there now. Or it's called perfection, as John Wesley wrote in the 1700s about Christian perfection. But the reality is, here's what John says. Look, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, right? You just don't know yourself very well. And your friends would be glad to help you out to clarify the situation. Now, as silly as that might seem to say that, it can still show up for us. It can show up in my life. Sure, I'm not perfect, but who is? And I'm actually doing pretty well. I think I might have actually gone all day without sinning. In fact, I'm not sure I sinned yesterday either. Now, you may not think that or say that out loud, but here's a question. 
When was the last time you confessed a sin to God? Or to someone else? See, we might not believe this overtly. We might not think this through exactly this way. But functionally, if we're not confessing sin, if we're not dealing with sin, if we're not aware of sin in our lives, functionally we can fall into this trap. But the counterclaim is so helpful for us here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what's this confession referring to? Some people say, well, sure, that's what you have to do to become a Christian and then you're done with it. And it certainly does refer to confession. But, you know, he's writing to Christians and he's speaking in the present tense. He doesn't say, if we confessed our sins at the time of conversion. He says, if we confess, present, ongoing. This is present tense Christianity. Ongoing life in Christ involves dealing with our sin in an ongoing way. And so, if we confess our sins, present tense, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'll again hear more about this in next week's passage. But there are vital things to learn about sin. What do we learn about sin here? Well, again, as I said last point, sin is fundamentally against God. Sin is fundamentally against God. That's why we need to be forgiven and cleansed. I was reading in my, uh, just reading through my daily reading this week, and I came to the story of this terrible story of King David with Bathsheba when he commits adultery with her murders her husband, uses his power in such a corrupt and terrible way. And when the prophet Nathan comes to David, it's fascinating what he says. He says this, he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord? You see who his sin was against? It was against Uriah. It was against Bathsheba. It was against the whole nation over which he was king. But it was first and foremost against God. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done what is evil in his eyes? Let's just slow down there. When we sin, is that true of us? Or are we back in the, well, I'm not perfect, but it's not really that bad. No, it really is that bad. When we sin, we're choosing someone else's word over God's word. When we sin, we're engaging in darkness and it's evil in his eyes. And this is why we need forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is an expression of, of the repaying of a debt. Our sin against God creates an obligation against him that we can't repay or restore. Maybe you have a student loan and you think, wouldn't it be cool if I could get that loan forgiven? Or credit card debt or a mortgage. What if that could be forgiven? You know what that means? It means remitted, paid for. The debt is gone. That's what God is saying to us, what he does for us in Christ. He forgives us. In Christ, we can be forgiven and cleansed. Sin, here's something else to learn. Sin isn't just some thing that you do. Sin pollutes it defiles, it corrupts, it works its way through our lives. The lie is that you can be completely free from sin and sinning now. The truth is, 
If you confess your sin, you can be forgiven and cleansed. Hear that. You can confess any and all sins right now to God. And he is faithful to forgive. He is just. It is righteous to him to forgive and cleanse you on the basis of what Christ has done. And you can have a fresh start right here, right now. Isn't that good news? Verse 10, one more. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God speaks clearly in his word that all people have sinned. So if you say you haven't sinned like ever, like sin isn't a thing you need to deal with, well, then you've got a problem because God says you have. And so what, what do you do with that? Well, John says, when you speak that way, you make God out to be a liar. God's saying one thing about you and, and, and you're saying something else. Romans 3, 23 and 24 clarify for us what God thinks about us, all people. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the appeal here is church, don't be seduced and taken in and tricked by lies about sin. Can you see the theme here, what these lies do? There's a downgrade in all these things. They're either downgrading how serious sin is. You don't really need to worry about it. You don't really need to be forgiven. It's not going to break up fellowship. You can still have fellowship with God. Or they're, they're, going to down, they're downgrading the reality of it in your life. Well, sin might be your problem or their problem, but it's not really my problem. So there's this downgrading work that these, these lies do. The truth is that sin is darkness. It's moral and ethical darkness. And God is light. And therefore, sin could not be more serious. And Christ's rescue from the darkness of sin couldn't be more needed or more perfect or more glorious. Now, let me leave you with a closing illustration. We're going to have a little fun here. I'm going to just warn you. We're going to, we're going to mess around with the lights a little bit because we're talking about light and darkness, okay? So you've been hearing a, this in my words. I want you to have just, just a, a sense with your eyes about this light and dark situation that we've been talking about here. So the lights are going to go off one or two times here, so don't get nervous. We can turn them back on. They will go back on. So here's the thesis. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So we've got the lights on full blast in here. This is as light as we can get it. This is nothing like the light that we're going to experience in God's presence, but it's the best we can do at 5200 Ox Road in the main auditorium this particular Sunday morning, okay? So God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Here's the claim now. If we say we have fellowship with God while walking in darkness, we lie because you can't blend darkness with light. All right, and now I can't read my notes, so hang on. <laughs> We're working on it. I'm ready. All right, okay. Now, have you ever been in complete darkness? It, it's really hard for us to be in complete darkness because there's usually street lights, headlights, flashlights, some glowing device, some night light. There's usually light somewhere. But you kind of get the idea 
if you're going to live life in darkness, it's not going to go so well, is it? Like, try to do an obstacle relay race in this room right now. It's not going to go so well. If you live in darkness, you can't get your bearings. You don't know where you are. You bump into people. You get hurt. You hurt people. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie because you can't blend darkness and light. They don't go together. Life in darkness doesn't go well. How we need light. And so, claim number two. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves. Think about that. That means as Christians, we've come into the light. Christ is the light of the world. We've come to follow him. Your life is now light. But see the shadow on that wall over there? There's light on that wall over there. There's a circle of light there. We could say that represents you. But there's also a shadow there too, isn't there? And you know, that's a picture I want to leave you with of your life today. Because there are pockets of darkness in every Christian life. You are living in the light. You are walking in the light. Christ is light. The unfolding of his word gives light. And we need that light to deal with these pockets of darkness that are still in us. So that counterclaim that we have no sin is false. The reality is that we do have light, but there's still this darkness that's inside of us. And a part of the Christian life is learning how to deal with that darkness and how God's word and fellowship and the ministry of the Holy Spirit help us with those things. The third claim is that if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. I want you to think about that. When God says he's the light of the world, do you know what he's saying? He's saying he's the point of reference for the whole universe. So if we're to bring the lights back up, we, we're reminded that God is the light of the world. And then if a person comes along and says, I'm not a sinner, what are they saying? Well, they're saying, I don't, I don't agree with God. I'm not in darkness. And so either I'm light like God is or God is a liar. And so this claim that I have never sinned, this claim that sin really isn't an issue for me, puts one at odds with God because God has said, he is the light of the world. He's the point of reference for all of the universe. And that point of reference is communicating to us that we all have a problem of darkness. And to say one isn't a sinner is to, is to make God a liar. The last thing I want to say is this. Our sin brings darkness. Right? Our sin is darkness. And in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast not only outside of Eden, but they came into lives that were dark. So we're going to go back to the dark setting. This is where we are without Christ. And the good news of the gospel is that the light of the world stepped down into darkness. I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. And when he stepped down into darkness... He said, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so when you walk with Christ, your life cannot be overcome by darkness because you are in the light and with the light, and he is the light. And when Jesus came, he came to bring the light so that our darkness could be repented of and we could be delivered from the kingdom of darkness 
and brought into his glorious kingdom, a kingdom of light. And as we walk with him, we experience his light and one day we will be in a place where darkness will be gone forever. And all the manifestations of darkness will be gone forever, all because of one great person who is the light of the world. And if you don't know this person, come to him today. Come and bring him your darkness. You don't have to hide from him. He's welcoming you to come for him, come to him for deliverance, forgiveness, washing, cleansing. And I'll tell you, and there's hundreds of people here that would tell you the same. Walking in the light is so much better than walking in the darkness.